Well, we are in our core values series, as Amber mentioned just a moment ago, and this is our last core value. So some of you may t take a deep breath and go, ah, it's finally over. And others of you may just be like, oh, that was, that was pretty fast. Seven of them. We've gone through seven core values. And as I said at the start, these are things that we didn't necessarily vote on. They're things that are observations that I made when I came here as your pastor in November, observations that I made of things that I saw within the congregation, within the, the culture and the DNA of this church, and things that are part of what God has woven into me. And being your pastor, I think it's important that if I'm going to be leading us as a church, that some of the things that God has really said, Kevin, these are important things. These are things that I want to spill over in your life and in your ministry that those things spill over into this congregation and people catch on fire and they get excited about these things. And one of them is visionary. And what does it mean to be visionary? Well, my illustration here is I'd like for everyone just to close your eyes for just, just a minute. It's not going to be too long. Just close your eyes and I want you to think just for a minute and say, do I need a vacation right now? I don't mean right in this minute, but just in my life. Do I need a vacation? Would I like a vacation? And many of us would say yes to that. We'd say, I'd love a vacation right now. Some of the things that are overwhelming in my life, maybe it's financial, maybe it's emotional, uh, maybe it's your job, maybe it's something in a relationship. And you just want a break, you just want a vacation. And then you picture, maybe it's a place that you've been to before, maybe it's a place you've never been, Hawaii, the Bahamas, the Virgin Islands, Something like that. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a cabin. Maybe it's the mountains. Maybe it's, maybe it's just a secluded place where it's just you and, and time alone with God. But it's a vacation. It's a destination spot. And then I want you in that, in that, in that moment of picturing, having that vision of what that vacation destination spot is, you're going to drive there at least part of the way. And I want you to picture yourself, you're going to be holding a rear view mirror. You're driving and now you have to, the only way that you're going to get there is you have to look in that rear view mirror. And I want you to open your eyes now. How's that going to go? How's that trip going to go if the only thing that you have to navigate by is a rear view mirror? How's it going to go? Not well. But unfortunately as a church, oftentimes we operate like a person who wants a vacation. They have a destination that they're trying to get to, but they're driving with that rearview mirror because we're nostalgic, right? First, when I came on as pastor in November, the holidays were coming up, and I, I saw this picture that we have outside here in the hallway, and it's an it's a old painting or a watercolor of Poetry Baptist Church. When the sanctuary was built, I believe it was in 1912. And I posted that picture on our Facebook page, and people who, who haven't been in any of our services, who I've never met, people were chiming in on Facebook, and they were saying all these wonderful things about these nostalgic moments of, oh, I remember at Poetry when we did this. And someone else would chime in, and they'd say, oh, I remember when we did this. And people were saying, I remember years ago when we would show up for Christmas services or over the holidays and they were handing out little bags of warm chestnuts to everyone. 
And I was thinking of those things. I was like, those are all those are all pretty cool. I mean, it's okay to have nostalgic moments, but you can't live that way, right? You can't live with a rear view mentality, not in life, and especially not in church. You can't live that way. And one of the primary reasons you can't live that way is because it's exclusive. It's exclusionary. We got some folks in our congregation that morning, this morning that have never been here before. Or maybe they've only been here once or twice, or maybe they're fairly new. And when you start talking about the things that we've done as a church that were five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago, what does that do to the people who are new? It excludes them. It's exclusionary, right? Remember, several sermons ago, there was a song that I brought up by Bruce Springsteen, Glory Days. And in that song, Bruce Springsteen talks about a guy who, his glory days were when he was a ball player in high school. And it was like, that was the peak of his life. That was it. And whether it was an injury or whether it was bad decisions in life, it, he just, that was it. He, now, now he works at a factory, and he's just clocking in and clocking out, and it's just the same old, same old. Y'all ever talk to people? How's things going? No, oh, same old, same old. That can't be us, right? It can't be us as Christians, because if it's the same old, same old, then we're doing something very, very wrong. We're doing something very wrong in our personal lives, as a congregation and as members of the bride of Christ, we're doing something wrong if someone walks up to you and says, hey, Bump, how are things going? Same old, same old. Does that inspire anyone? Does that make anybody say, man, I want to get in on that? I want to be a part of what that guy is in on. And then they find out that you're a Christian and they say, well, that clearly can't be what I need to pursue because it's just same old, same old. And that's not what people want, right? People want to have purpose in life. People want to have direction. People want to get excited. And you can't do that without a vision. And as a church, if we're not a visionary church, if we're not looking down the road of what it is that God has for us as a church, someone comes in these doors, and it's their first time, and they walk away and they're like, that's a same old, same old church. Same old, same old guess what they're going to do? That's going to be the last visit, and they're going to go somewhere else. Because they want to go somewhere where the Holy Spirit is alive inside the congregation, inside the music and the songs that they sing, that when, when the worship leader stands up and he sings, that you can see it just oozing and ebbing and flowing out of his body. And he's up there and he's worshiping, and everybody's like, ooh, man. I wasn't really ready to sing this morning, but now I am. Now I'm going to sing because I'm sold. See, that guy's on fire. He sees something. He's cast a vision of what it is to worship Jesus Christ. And I want in on that. Glory days. We can't have them. We're a visionary church. See, nostalgia doesn't sustain vision, does it? It's counterproductive. We can't be a church that's overly nostalgic. You can have some good memories. You can be like, oh, I remember when we did this or we did that. And then that becomes part of your vision. We want to do that again. So when Tanya and Bump, when Brenda and Don, 
When all these new folks are coming, Darren and Tammy and their family, when they come and they visit, and they're like, I don't remember what it was like back then, but these people are excited about it now, and I can see it on the horizon. When Christmas comes, and we do that thing again, I want to be there. I want to be in on it. I want you all to turn in your Bibles to Ezra. If you're not familiar with where Ezra is in your Bible, it's right after 2 Chronicles. So you've got Kings, Chronicles, and then you've got Ezra. You've gone too far if you get to Nehemiah and Esther. So I want you to turn. I could give you a page number, but y'all probably don't have the same Bible I have, so that's not going to help. We're going to turn to Ezra chapter 1, and I'm just going to read a little tidbit, a little section of it. Ezra chapter 1. Here we go. We're going to be in Ezra for a couple minutes, so if you're not quite there yet, that's okay. Ezra chapter 1, verse 2. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build him a house at Jerusalem and Judah. Whoever is among his people, may his God be with him. May he go to Jerusalem and Judah and build the house of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. See, God gave Cyrus a vision. Cyrus wasn't even a believer, right? God gave Cyrus, this foreign king, he gave him a vision for the people, the Jews, the Israelites, so that they would go and do something for the purpose, the mission, and the glory of God. You don't have to be a believer to have a vision. But to be a believer, you better have a vision. Okay? So then in chapter 2, it goes through the list of all these different people who ended up going to do exactly what God, the vision that he had given to Cyrus. And then in chapter 3, the rebuilding of the temple, I want you to fast forward to verse number 10. So now all these people have come. There's been all these different skilled artisans and people who God has gifted to come and to do all these things for the Lord, to rebuild this house. And in chapter 10... We read, when the builders had laid the foundation of the Lord's temple, the priests, dressed in their robes, holding trumpets, and the Levites descended from Asaph, holding cymbals, those are musical instruments, took their positions to praise the Lord as King David of Israel had instructed. Now that's not saying that King David's alive, okay? That's just saying the, in the same fashion that back when King David was alive, that things happened back then. As King David of Israel had instructed. They sang with praise and thanksgiving to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love to Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord, because the foundation of the Lord's house had been laid. And here it is. But many of the older priests... Levites and family leaders who had seen the first temple wept loudly when they saw the foundation of this house. But many others shouted joyfully. Do you all see what nostalgia does? Christine and I, we built a house in Forney. And I remember when they laid the foundation, I remember driving up one day, and, and Christine was always excited. It's like even when they just moved the dirt. She was like, we have dirt! We've got dirt! And we were all like, yeah, honey, we got dirt. But she was excited about it because Christine had the vision, right? 
And we pulled up one day and we're sitting there and it's like they had, you still had the frame around the foundation. And I looked at it and I'm just thinking like, that's it? That, that didn't look anything like, but she was undaunted. See, I saw the foundation and I was like, wah, wah, wah. This, is, this, is, this is like our dream home? This is it? And see, that's what these people were like. They saw the foundation. It's not even the temple. It's not even finished yet. They've just seen the foundation. And they're nostalgic. They're remembering the glory days. Y'all know something about the glory days? They never were. They never were the way we remember them, right? They never were. When you're sitting there and these old priests and these Levites, when they're recollecting and they're all nostalgic and they begin to weep of what it was that they once had. What did we once have and now we've just got this foundation. What did you have? When King David was king, what did you have? Idleness? Adultery? Murder? Is that what they're recalling? Maybe, maybe it's when Solomon was king, right? When Solomon was king and, and silver was so abundant and God said, don't collect it. Oh, wait, we, no, that's not what we were remembering. When Solomon had hundreds and hundreds of wives. Remember back in Exodus, I think it's 17, God said, don't have many wives. Oh, no, that's not what we were thinking about. Well, what was it? Maybe it was when on all of the high places you had Asherah poles. Was that what you're recalling? Was that the good old days of Israel? When, when the new king would come along and it wasn't in the ways of his father like Josiah or Hezekiah and they had to go and tear all those places down and then the next generation would come up and guess what? Whoop, they're all back up again. Is that what you're recalling? So what's the nostalgia? What are you excited about? Why are you weeping when they build the foundation? You know why? There's no vision. They're living in the past and it's a past that never was. Nostalgia, by definition, is disconnectedness from reality. So I want you all to let that kind of sink in a little bit. Nostalgia, by definition, is di disconnectedness from reality. Because it's a selective remembrance. So what does it mean to be visionary? We kind of talk now about being nostalgic, about looking in the rearview mirror. Now we're going to talk about looking forward. Like, what's up there? The pastor seems to be getting really excited about this visionary thing, but I don't even know what he's talking about. Like, what is he getting excited about? What is there to get excited about? Well, I'm going to tell you. So just hang on. That's where I'm going. Can y'all uh, put the slide up there that has the quote for me? This is a, a quote from a poem by Robert Browning. And the, the poem is actually, a, it's more like a book. It's Paracelsus. And there's a part in that poem where the person who's on this journey, this is from the book, says, So long the city I desired to reach lay hid, when suddenly its spires afar flashed through the circling clouds. You may conceive my transport soon, the vapors closed again, but I had seen the city. See, that's what it is to have vision. When I said, where are you at the beginning of this in your life? Maybe there's something that's weighing you down. Maybe it's something emotional. Maybe it's something physical. Maybe it's something financial. 
And you're, you're not excited about coming to church. You're not excited about ministry. You're thinking about that stuff. And it's weighing you down. And when I said, do you want to go on a vacation? And you're thinking, man, I would love a vacation. I would love it if my back, if my sciatic nerves stopped going crazy on me. Every time I sit in a car or stand up and it goes bonkers, I wish. It's a vision I have for myself physically, personally. Maybe it's financial, emotional. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what it is. But see, that alone can't be your vision. That alone can't be your vision. See, once you've seen the city, once you've seen it, what's going to stop you? See, he saw it. He saw the spires. He saw it. He knew he was going in the right direction, right? Because I see it. If it's over there and I'm going this way and something opens up and I don't see it, I don't get inspired by that. But if I'm looking this way and the clouds part and the fog just for a moment and I can see it and I see the spires and I see the city, I can see it. And then it gets dark again. I'm going to keep going that way because that's my destination, right? That's my objective. That's where I'm going to go. I've got the vision. Y'all still aren't convinced. I can tell. Got some of y'all sitting there. All right, so let me, let me turn you to Scripture. I appreciate the fact that y'all aren't getting too excited just because I'm up here ranting. So let's turn to Scripture. Romans chapter 8. I'm going to get y'all excited. If you don't get excited about God's Word, then, then we're going to have a problem. But until then, I'll hold out hope for you. All right, here we go. Romans chapter 8. Y'all know this guy Paul, the one who wrote, wrote the book of Romans, the epistle? Do y'all know him? The guy who was formerly the persecutor of Christians? The one who stood there while Stephen was being stoned, giving him the thumbs up? Bash his head in. Go for it, guys. The one who was on the road to Damascus. He was going to go 200 and some odd miles to go and persecute Christians. He's going to go on a road trip. He didn't get to get in a car. He didn't have a horse and buggy. He didn't have a helicopter. This dude was so excited, so zealous for persecuting Christians. On foot, I'm going to go 200 miles to go after and go get those Christians. Okay? That's who this guy is. And he meets the Lord, and he's forever changed. He's changed. He's got a vision. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 35. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction, anguish, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? As it is written, because of you, church, we are being put to death all day long. That's inspiring, right? Yay! We're being put to death. Y'all aren't convinced yet. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No in all these things, we are more than victorious, more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I, Paul, am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, no power, height, depth, no any created thing will have the power to separate us from the love that God is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Do y'all see the vision that this guy's got? There is nothing that's going to stop Paul from being an ambassador of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Why? 
because he caught the vision. He experienced, he encountered, he was in the presence of God Almighty. And y'all say, well, I've never been in the presence of Jesus Christ. Uh-oh. You haven't? See, because Scripture says that when we are believers, that when we're here together as a congregation, as a church, and each and every believer has the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them, you are in the presence of God. Amen? Amen? And if you're not, something's very wrong. If you don't walk in here and say, I feel as though I am in the presence of God. When Pastor Kevin preaches, he is preaching with the fire and the passion of God. Channeled through him, it is the word preached. It's not me preaching the word. Do y'all understand that? Y'all still aren't convinced. I'm going to work out a little bit more. 2 Corinthians. Keep going to the right. Not 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 11. We're going to go verses 21 through 28. See, in Robert Browning's poem, he saw the spires, right? He saw the city. He's going there. Nothing's going to stop him. That's Paul. I'm going. I'm on my way. I know who Jesus is. I know what he's called me to do. I'm an ambassador of the gospel. I am an apostle of Jesus Christ, the sovereign Lord. The Genesis 49.10 Shiloh. That's my boss. Amber always says, make Jesus the boss of your life. That's the boss of Paul's life. And no matter what you're going to throw at this guy, he's going to keep coming. If he had a flat tire, do you think Paul would be, oh, I'm not going to church today. I had a flat tire. Woe is me, Lord, my flat tire. Goes, in, goes to pour his lucky charms out of the box in the morning. He's going to church and two fall out. I'm not going to church today because I ran out of lucky charms. Goes into, the, goes into the refrigerator and there's no milk. I'm not, I'm, not gonna go, I'm not going to church tonight. I know. I'm not going to sing. I'm going to sit in the back with my arms folded. Cause... No! 2 Corinthians 11, 21 through 28. See, there's false apostles in the church. And these false apostles have been boasting about who they are and all of their credentials. And Paul comes along and he's like, oh, y'all want to have a boasting match? Let's do this thing, right? Let's do this thing. Here we go. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm talking like a madman. I'm a better one with far more labors, many more imprisonments, far worse beatings, near death many times. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Are y'all kind of catching the flow here? What's going to stop this guy? Nothing! I spent night and day in the depths of the sea. On frequent journeys I faced danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people. Danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the open country, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brothers, labor, hardships, many sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, often without food, cold, lacking clothing, not to mention, on top of all these things, the daily pressures on me, my care for all the churches. 
That alone is enough for me. That alone is enough for me as a pastor. My care for the church sometimes is overwhelming. My care for the church. My love and passion for Poetry Baptist Church. And then on top of that, you throw in this guy, there have been times when he's been naked. He's been beaten. He's been shipwrecked. And guess what? When Paul wakes up and he, he regains consciousness, what does he do? Throw a pity party? No. He is relentless for the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you want to put me in prison, guess what? I've got a captive audience now. You want to put me in a cell with somebody? You want to put me in solitary? Guess what I get to do all day? I get to pray. To die is gain, to live is Christ, right? I can't lose. I can't lose. I cannot lose. Is that the mentality and the spirit that we have as members, as individuals of a church? I can never lose. I can't lose. I can never lose. Say that with me. I can never lose. That's truth. That is gospel truth. You can never lose until you invite the enemy into your life who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And then you offer it up to him. You say, here, I want you to steal this from me. I want you to steal my joy. Because of the sin in my life that I'm going to return to like a dog to its vomit, I'm going to let you kill it, Satan. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you the keys to my ministry. We got to do that. We got to turn it over to him. It doesn't happen by default. It doesn't. Kill, steal, and destroy. We have to turn it over to him. Because we already have the victory in Christ, right? Do we not? We do. We have the victory, and now we just got to walk it out. But what's the vision, right? What's the vision? That's where we're going. Let's go to Revelation 21. I shared with y'all when I became your pastor early on. said, I remember several times going to other churches, and one of the churches that I went to was Park Cities Baptist. And the pastor at the time, the teaching pastor, was new. He got up in front of the congregation, and he said, well, I was going through the search committee, and y'all were interviewing me. Many of the people in the congregation said, Pastor, what is your vision for our church? He said, I don't have a vision for your church. God has a vision for your church. See, because if a man has a vision for your church, you have a major, major problem. Because if it comes from men, what's going to happen to it? Y'all can say it. What's going to happen? It's going to fail. It's going to get flushed. And you're going to be many dollars, miles, years down the road before y'all realize we got a problem. All that time. Not saying that God can't redeem all things. If he could redeem someone like Cyrus, he can redeem. But we don't need to embrace it, right? We want to embrace the vision of God. Revelation 21. Let's talk about God's vision for the church, okay? Revelation 21. This is going to be verses 1 through 8. So in Revelation, this is John on Patmos. He's has this vision. It's gone through all these different portions of the vision of the churches and the trumpets and the bowls. Then we get to the great white throne of uh, judgment, and then we get to verse 21, the new creation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea existed no longer. 
I also saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared like a bride, adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. The one seated on the throne said, Look, I'm making each and everything new. He also said, Write, because these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the thirsty from the spring of living water as a gift. The victor will inherit these things. I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowards, unbelievers, vile, murderers, sexually immoral, immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all the liars, their share will be in the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, which is the second death. Did y'all catch that? When you close your eyes for a second and you think about what God's word has to say about this future vision. See, if we're going to be a visionary church, if we're going to be looking forward, if for a moment, as Robert Browning's poem said, when, when, the, when the cloud parts for just a second and we get a glimpse of the spires, we get a glimpse of the city, what does it look like? What's the thing that inspires you as a believer? What inspires us as a church? I hope it's this. I hope it's this. Now there may be some very specific things as a church that we talk about as far as our, our purpose and our mission. Very specific things because they're going to distinguish Poetry Baptist Church from other churches in this area. But the biggest thing that distinguishes us from everyone else is what? Us. Us. See, I'm not in any other church. I don't preach here and then go and preach at five other churches on Sunday. This is the church that God has called me to. Where has God called you to be and to serve? He's not called you to five different churches. He's called you to one. And if you're sitting there going, well, I'm not sure what church God... That's okay for a moment. But if you've been coming here for six years, ten years, twenty years, and you're still riding the bench, we got a problem. We got a major, major problem. See, because Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's not. If you're going to be visionary, if you're going to see that vision that God has for us, you've got to get up and you've got to do something. You've got to get in the game. I shared with you all before that my singles pastor, I'd only been at First Baptist San Antonio for maybe a month, and he invited me out to lunch. And we sat down, we had lunch, and Robert, he came here a couple of months ago, and he sat right over there. And Robert said to me when we were having lunch, he said, Kevin, if all you ever do is come and take up a seat, then you're doing us a great disservice. Why? Do y'all know as Baptists, y'all heard of the priesthood of believers? Soul competency, we've talked about that on Wednesday nights. You are uniquely equipped as a member of the body of Christ to do something. And if you don't know what that is, that's okay today. But it's not okay tomorrow. 
if you're not moving in the direction towards that vision? Are you becoming equipped for ministry? You're like, oh man, that's, that's on the back burner. See, I got a business to run. I got a family to take care of. I got all this other stuff. See, that, you've taken your eyes off the spire. You've taken your eyes off the city and you're sitting there and you're looking right in front of you. And you're like, I got all this muck. I got all this stuff and I got to do. And then it's like, I don't know which way I'm going. It's because you have no vision. You know how easy it is to get overwhelmed when you have no vision? Because you feel like, have you all ever heard of the Maasai, a tribe in Africa, warriors? There's a movie called The Ghost in the Darkness. I don't know if it's true. I haven't fact-checked it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this out there just as an illustration, okay? It's not in the Bible. But in the movie, one of the characters is talking, and he said, you know what happens if you take someone who's from the Maasai and you put them in jail, if you put them inside of a cell? You know what happens to them? They'll be dead in the morning. Why? This healthy, strong warrior, why? Because they've got no concept of time. They have no concept of time. And so when they're locked up in a cell and they can't move, in their minds, that's forever. That's where they're stuck. Doesn't that happen to us? With no vision, we sit there and we're just like, my job is horrible. It's overwhelming. I don't know what I'm going to do. My kid is sick. My parents are sick. I have financial problems. I'm in debt. I don't know what I'm going to do. And you're focused on this. But when you sit there and you, you kind of climb up over the fence... And you look, and you see the spire, and for a moment you get a glimpse, you get a vision of what it is that God has for us. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. God's going to dwell with us. Emmanuel. He's going to wipe away all the tears. All us guys say, I don't cry. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You cry. There are times in your life when you've been broken, so stop acting tough. You cry. He's going to wipe away all the tears. Death will no longer exist. So what are you afraid of? If there's a time when death and pain and tragedy and all that stuff is in the rearview mirror, are you going to sit there and be nostalgic? Is that the time to be in a, grab the rearview mirror? Oh, I remember back when my back hurt. I remember back when I couldn't walk, I'd been in an accident. I remember when my wife and I, we first got married and I tried to start a business and it epically failed and we were in debt and we were constantly struggling and worrying about money and how we were going to pay for this and what was going to happen with our kids and well, what are we going to do? And then we stopped. We said, God, what is, it, what is it that you want us to do? You've called me to ministry. So where is that? And he says, it's at Poetry Baptist Church, Kevin. It's the word being preached through you into a body of people and then they get fired up and they get excited. And they say, there's a vision out there and we want to be a part of it. Is that how you feel? Is that what you want to be? Is that who we are as a church? I hope so. See, because when you catch it, like Paul, you can beat me. I can be shipwrecked. I can have a bad day. I can have a bad month. I can have a bad year. I can have a bad decade. But you know what? When you let me out of this prison, y'all better step back and watch out because I'm going to take care of business. I'm going to go after it. Any of y'all in prison right now? Is anybody here in prison? Raise your hand. Anybody in prison? 
See, if you're in the prison of sin, then let it go. Because you have victory in Christ. If you're in the prison of debt and worry, let it go. Because Jesus said, what? Don't worry. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added unto you. You're not in prison. The chains have been broken. They have. So if you raised your hand and you said you're in prison, I got good news for you today. You're not. You may choose to be in prison, but you're not. Because if you are a redeemed believer in Jesus Christ, you're not in prison. You can choose to be there. You can hand over the keys to the enemy. You can say, Satan, I want you to steal my joy. I want you to kill my ministry. I want you to destroy my relationship with my wife because I'm addicted to something that I shouldn't be addicted to. But you have to make the decision to turn it over to him. Do you want to make that decision or do you want to make the decision for victory? Do you want to make that decision or do you want to look down the road? Do you want to, in the moment right now when the, when the clouds have parted and you see the spires, have you caught it? Have you all caught it? Not a rhetorical question. Have you all caught it? Yes. He's given us a vision. We're his people. Undaunted, unhindered, not nostalgic. It's not my vision. It's his. It's in here. It's his vision. See that last part right there? Verse 8. But the cowards. We could just stop right there. The cowards. Ask yourself an honest question. You say, well, I'm not an unbeliever. I don't do sorcery. I'm, I'm good in those departments. I don't sit down and, you know, try to do any sorcery stuff. I'm not, I'm not Harry Potter. I'm not an idolater. I don't have an Asherah pole in my backyard. But, but maybe there's another idol that you have. What might that be? I don't know. Get with the Lord on that. What's your idol? It's got to get taken down. The liars? Are you lying to yourself? Paul said, examine yourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith. Are you in the faith? See, because if you are, Paul says that you're going to produce fruit. If you look back over the last week, the last month, the last year of your life, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, Jesus said. What's that fruit? Is there somebody who's going to be in the kingdom of heaven because of what you've done this past year? Is there? Is there somebody that you're investing in on a regular basis? Maybe it's one of your kids. Maybe it's students at your school. Maybe it's young folks in this church. Maybe you're serving in vacation Bible school. Maybe you've served. Maybe you're going to serve again. Maybe you serve in the nursery. Maybe you're looking forward to a day of vision that we have as a church of when we're going to, this place is going to be erupting with youth. And there's going to be vitality and there's going to be energy. And when people walk in, they don't just go, well, there's a lot of people with gray hair. Uh, not a bad thing, but, you know, I don't see anybody between the ages of 12 and 35. Why is that? That's our problem. We can't just sit there and go, well, they just don't get us. It's because we're not doing anything to reach those people. If we are, then they'd be here, right? But the cowards, are we being cowards about our faith? 
That's not something you've got to raise your hand right now and say, Pastor, I'm being a coward. That's between you and the Lord. Maybe it's between you and me. You want to talk later? We can do that. Not right now. Christianity is not a spectator sport, guys. I say guys, I'm sorry. I use that word and it may offend you. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not a spectator sport. And when we talk about vision... Someone this week posted something on Facebook and said, if your pastor is talking about casting vision, then run to another church. Run to another church if your pastor is casting a vision. I'd challenge that a little bit. I'd challenge it because I'm not casting a vision that's my vision. What have I said on Wednesday nights when we've been together? I said, this is going to be our vision that we've achieved, that we've discerned through prayer and conversations as the people, the body of poets. Because if we don't have a vision that's specific to us, yeah, we got this long-term vision of what it is that God has for us. What's that going to look like for us today? What are we working towards? And then that's going to speak into our purpose and our mission and our strategy. Are we a visionary church? Or are we nostalgic? Are we relying on the glory days? Are we sitting there like the characters in Bruce Springsteen's song, looking back and the best days are behind us? If that's true for us as a church, guys, let's just throw in the towel. If you're not excited about what God has for us tomorrow, let's just stop playing. But if you want to get excited... If after today, maybe you've been there for a while, but after today, you kind of looked up, and just like in Robert Browning's poem, the clouds parted for a minute, and you got a glimpse. You got a glimpse of that city. I want to be in on that, Pastor. I'm raising my hand. I don't know what that's going to look like. I'm excited about youth. I'm excited about singing. I'm excited about teaching Sunday school. I'm excited about going and visiting people who are sick. I'm excited about missions, long-term. You know what? I want to go and I want to live in Africa, and I don't have any intention of ever coming home. I just want to go because that's what God's called me to. If that's you, let's do this thing. Let's do this thing. I want to make my ministry and my time here that's over like that, I want to make it count. And if y'all want to be in on that together, come on, let's do this. All right? That's it? Come on, let's do this. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the fact that all throughout your word you cast vision. That in Revelation you give us that picture of your bride. But it's not only in Revelation. It's all throughout scripture. It's the Proverbs 31 woman. Preparing herself, getting ready, exporting evangelizing, standing in the city gate, making her groom, her husband, known well, skillful with all things. Let that be us, God. Help us to be that picture of your bride that we find in Scripture. Bless us with people who come into this place who don't just want to be spectators, but people who know you and they want to serve you and they want to be poured out 
is that burnt offering from Leviticus. Take all of it, Lord. Don't, don't hold anything back. Take all of it for you. Help us to pursue people who don't know you. Help us to minister to them. Help us to be so excited as ambassadors of the gospel that they're filled with the spirit and the passion and the love of Christ. Help us to be that iron that sharpens iron as we engage in discipleship. Not necessarily focused on making them, but just doing the activity of discipleship and letting you do the making, God. We're not a numbers-focused congregation. We're not going to answer the question, how many y'all running on Sunday? We're running exactly the number that God brought here today. That's how many we're running. And we're faithful to that ministry. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.